Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Great to be here today. As always, a fine day to take your dog for a walk, if I do say so myself. (laughs) Hey, happy spring. That's exciting. Yeah, I got to agree with you and happy spring. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Uh, Well, interesting topic today, going to focus primarily on divorce and not between dogs, but because I'm remembering uh, in Wiener Takes All, the documentary about wiener dog racing, about that woman that marries dogs, right? No, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> we're talking about pet custody. And I have Jacqueline Newman, who is a New York City-based matrimony law attorney, with me on the phone. Jacqueline, welcome to The Dog Show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So your website is nycdivorcelawyer.com, and you've written two books, Soon to Be X. And then you have one, and the and the uh, soon to be X is geared more for women. And then you also have soon to be X for men. Two That's books. Correct. And so you, this is your specialty, and it sounds like now you devoted a whole chapter. Is that right on pet custody? I did. I did. It's so, a big issue. Yeah. Well, it must be if you're, you know, writing about it. So this must you must see this a lot in your work, and I feel. You know, um, I mean, it's even even when it's for the better, so to speak, I think it's always hard to, you know, go through that kind of an adjustment. And then certainly, you know, feeling for animals that are impacted in addition to children. And, you know, it sounds like the courts are recognizing, um, even though pets are legally still considered property, there's a little more thought into the well-being of the animal as far as who who gets custody or not. And so there's actually more to know about this. So I'm excited to talk with you. And I think the the first thing that I think of is like both both spouses want the dog and so they're sort of fighting for custody. But then as I was thinking about it a little more, I was thinking that I'm sure that there's other configurations as well where um they want joint custody or, I mean, there's probably lots of different configurations. So how have you seen this play out in your practice? Yes, there are a lot of different ways. I mean, as you had said earlier, originally, you know, animals are technically legally property. That said, courts really are taking a bigger shift and they're kind of looking at animals a little bit more. I mean, I wouldn't say as much as they're looking at children and the fact of, you know, recognizing the best interest, but there's definitely moving, they're leaning toward that. And in that same vein, you are looking at custody agreements and the same way that you're looking at, you know, dog pet sharing agreements. So I've actually done agreements that pretty much, you know, instead of saying, you know, Jane the daughter, I basically changed it to Fido the dog. And it's basically a very, very similar agreement. Mm. Um, And so for the access schedule, it could be, you know, alternating week on, week off. It could be a lot of times if there are children involved, sometimes the pet will follow the children, so that way the children okay. maintain the consistency with their animal. Yeah. Um, you know, you can do things, you know, I've had people that, you know, especially in New York City, people live very close to each other, and I've had animals that shift back and forth pretty much every day. I mean, you can really be very, very flexible um, in figuring out what's going to work best for, you know, the family and, and the animal. Yeah. Have you found that the courts would uh, tend to lean towards... Uh or would it be assumed like whoever gets the children gets the dog if they want the dog or not necessarily? I, mean, I wouldn't say necessarily. I mean, again, if you're in a situation where let's say one person, you know, has the animal, you know, the dog before the marriage, right. brings the animal in and then, is, you know, has this very close relationship. Sure. And let's say, you know, if I'm going to be, let's say the husband for this situation has the dog before the marriage and let's say the wife, you know, has the children primarily residing with her it doesn't necessarily mean the animal's going to shift back and forth. I mean, again, it's something that's discussed and sometimes very, you know, discussed in quite the heated way. But, um, you know, it's not automatic. But a lot of times, you know, you think about it, the children, you know, they're already being shuffled back and forth. And, you know, a lot of times kids have incredibly close relationships with their pets. And so, you know, a lot of times you just want to make everybody as comfortable as possible. So a lot of times that will be the shift, but not automatic. Yeah. 
Are you, um, just out of curiosity, the now that gay marriage has been legalized for several years, are you seeing m- many cases or, you know, as many with gay couples? And are there any differences with the pets or not necessarily? I mean, I wouldn't say there's a difference, but I am seeing, you know, a lot of people, they have same-sex marriages. They don't always have children, and a lot of times, so their pets become, what I say, their furry children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that happens, actually, in, in any relationship. But yeah. um, So I will say that that is probably brought to me more when we're dealing with same-sex couples mm-hmm. in that, you know, the pets are really, you know, what they're going to be fighting about. So while I see it more, I can't say that, you know, it's still the same issues. Everybody still has the same feelings about their animals and, and feel just as strongly. So I don't know if it makes a differentiation that way, but I am seeing it more and more as gay marriage is occurring. Right. You know, uh, so my expertise in um, is in training and behavior in addition to doing the show. Um, and I've seen, you know, over the years, and I would say more so now than I've been doing this work for about 15 years and it seems like more so now I'm seeing shared custody situations where somebody is bringing a dog to me that they have full time. And then they there's also a dog that spends, you know, any any configuration, you know, one month on one month off or, you know, it can be configured in lots of different ways, as you know. But I'm actually seeing more of that than I used to. And I think it's interesting. I think it's more of a trend maybe than it used to be like 15 years ago. Would you say that you see that? Yeah, no, I would definitely say that, you know, you're seeing it much more than you were 15 years ago. And I'm not sure why that is. I don't know if maybe it is, you know, same-sex couples. I don't know if it's more just the fact that, you know, I mean, I'm seeing a shift that I don't know if this correlates, but... I'm seeing a you know a great shift I'd say in the last ten years of fathers being much more involved with their children, mm-hmm. and maybe there's some connection there. Maybe because fathers are home more and because they're more involved in their children, they're becoming more attached to their pets. This is a complete guess, yeah. um, but you are just seeing this overall trend. So I would absolutely say that you know 15 years ago, I think there was just people would say it's a pet, a pet is a pet. It's you know the same. You know you get the couch, I get the pet kind of thing, and it was just much more of a. There wasn't such a sensitivity to it as there is now. Yeah. Well, certainly the the trend is more and more as the years go by. Uh, you know, we view our pets as part of the family, and that that makes sense intuitively that then there would therefore be, you know, a motivation to do a shared custody or, or that kind of thing. Um, so you said you have some uh, kind of tips for people who... Uh, are anticipating or, you know, going through divorce um, or thinking that it might be coming and want to make sure that they get to keep the pet and that there's actually things to do to help help the argument. So what are some of those things? So it's kind of similar to what you'd be doing if you were dealing with a custody situation. I mean, I recommend that people kind of keep a journal of, you know, Who's, who's caring for the dog's daily needs? Are they, you know, who's the one who takes out the dog? Who's the one who takes the dog to the vet? Who's the one who picks the vet? Um, you know, really, what, you know, who does the dog have a closer relationship with? So you want to start taking notes of that, and you want to be able to basically represent, should this become in front of a judge, you know, it's going to be in the dog's or the, whatever animal's best interest for them to primarily reside with that one person that's been the main caretaker. So that's really what it comes down to. It's just, you know, the best interest standard is what, we're kind of trying to shift to in regards to the animal. Um, it's a little bit, you know, it's kind of like when you have a custody situation and you're dealing with an infant, that's someone who can't vocalize their needs. Right. But even when you have custody fights in situations like that, you can still see who's the primary caretaker. And I kind of equate it in a way to an animal because obviously an animal can't express, you know, verbally what they, you know, their needs in the same way that, say, a 15-year-old would be able to. Yeah. So that's really what it comes down to. Um, it just comes down to really showing that you are the person that would best serve this animal and also the person that's been caring for him or her the most. So if an individual is keeping their own journal of it, is that ever challenged? Like, well, you just made this up. Is it, would you want to have like any sort of, um, validation? Like if you went to the vet visit or the groomer visit, like actually having those businesses like initial or anything like that. So that it's not just like your journal that maybe you made up or does that not really come up? You know, at this point it hasn't come up. Would I say that it would never come up? Who knows? I mean, you know, as again, as we had said earlier, as you see this trend, 
become more and more of an issue, I mean, at some point, it probably will. There will be that case out there where people will have a real, real battle about animals, and they'll be bringing in witnesses. I mean, having someone initial, they'll say, well, how do I know that that was really the vet's initial? And, you know, I mean, like, you'd probably have to ultimately bring in them to testify to say, yes, I've only seen, you know, this one person taking care of this animal. I've never even met the other person or something to that effect. Right. So that's really what you'd be looking at. At this point, again, I haven't seen it get to that level, but I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking again in 10 years, and it is. Yeah. Has anybody ever ever asked for, like, the equivalent of, like, child support payment for the pet? So, yeah, that comes up a lot. So, you know, and I call it, like, puppy support. Um, That's a big issue, and especially, you know, in New York City, when you're dealing with a lot of people that are spending a ton of money on their pets. I mean, you have the doggy daycare, and you have the specialized food, and you have you know, the dog walkers, and there's just so much going on that it can be very, very expensive. So absolutely, that becomes an issue very, very often as to what you're going to be paying in regards to these animals and and who's going to be paying for it. I actually have a case right now, um, it's a mediation, where the animal is one of the big, big issues, and mostly it's an issue about who's going to pay for. I mean, it's an issue, we've kind of worked out the access, and we figured that out, but now it's an issue of how, you know, who's going to pay for it, because my client has uh, my, you know, one of the clients, one of the, the wife in this situation, you know, has a trust fund. And so she's very, very wealthy. And the husband, you know, he does fine for himself, but, you know, he's, he's out working for his money. And the wife pampers this animal like you would not believe. I mean, we're talking, you know, anywhere between, I'd say, 800 to to $1,000 almost a week. Wow. And so when you're in that type of situation, from the husband's perspective, while he loves the dog, he feels that that's just overkill and he doesn't have as much money as she does, so he doesn't want to pay this much. And, you know, her position is, well, this is what we've always done and this is important. And so they're really battling about it. And it's, it's tough. You know, it's one of those things where, from her perspective, this is what's important and this is what they've historically done. And from his perspective, I can't afford to do it anymore. And you see it a lot. This is the type of fight you have possibly with children. But it's interesting to see that shift now happening with an animal. Yeah. What, I'm just curious, what is costing $1,000 a week? <laughs> well, this animal has some medical needs, so that's okay. part of it. Okay, Um So there's a lot of things going on with that. Sure. And, you know, she buys, you know, food, like actual real, like not dog food. She's buying human food for the dog and, and cooking it and having it prepared a certain way and yeah. the dog has a lot of clothing and uh-huh. the dog is walked a certain you know quite often yeah. um and goes to grooming constantly i mean so it's a lot of that yeah you know that's a very nice life yeah well and i i didn't even think of that the whole um you know of course medical needs and I, we're feeling this as our dogs we you know have a little pack of dogs our ourselves and uh as they get older they do you know they start Generally, they they really start their expenses increase as their health needs increase, and they generally increase as they get older. So, that is, or if there was a a, a medical condition, required medication, or regular vet visits, you know, that really does for sure <laughs> add up. And so yeah. it would it would need to be discussed. And I guess it's not as simple as like, well, if you want the dog, then you assume the um you know, the cost that comes with the dog, if you get custody, then you, that's just assumed. I guess it's just not as straightforward. Like, well, I want custody and I want you to share expenses, even though you don't get custody. Yeah, no, that comes up. I mean, sometimes, you know, when one, if you're, if you're dealing with spousal support in a marriage, you know, spousal support, same thing as alimony, maintenance, et cetera. A lot of people will bury in the spousal support, the expenses for the animal and say it's a lifestyle issue. That's kind of where you see that happen. But when there aren't, you know, when you're basically only dealing with an animal and it's very, very specific, then a lot of times that will become the issue too. Yeah. Is there anything other than keeping a journal and kind of trying to trying to uh, capture formally all of the, the time and care that one puts into an animal? Um, are there any other ways that that's sort of proven or looked at or is that pretty much the main thing is to just try to you know keep records at this point it really is keeping records i mean you'll testify you know if you got to this point you'd be testifying about the relationship you have with the animal you know i I always joke it's not as if you're going to stand in court and you know whoever calls the animal the dog goes to um but maybe at some point it will be who knows i mean again it's so hard to test that's you know historically 
I'm sorry, what? No, I was just going to say, I have written down, like, I think of the old the old Annie where they're like, okay, if this is your dog, call him. And right. it's like the, the, the test of just, like, call the dog and who does the dog go to? And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, well, that could be swayed with treats or positive reinforcement and how terrible to put it on the dog like they would a kid, like, make the kid pick, you know? That's right. Well, I always joke if that were to happen, you know, someone would have treats in their pocket, yeah. you know, and that's why the dog would go running. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's a very, um, you know, it's a hard thing. I mean, again, you're dealing with an animal and you're dealing with, you know, someone who can't communicate. So, and you're also asking a court to kind of take that extra leap to be, I mean, you have to have a judge who's an animal lover who's really going to embrace this because, again, you have certain people that are like, it's a dog, it's a dog, just go in the pound and get another one not recognizing, obviously, the element and the depth of a you know, a relationship that occurs with a pet. Yeah. Are most, I don't know if you can speak to this, but I'll ask anyway, do you think that most um, divorce attorneys are sensitive to this pet issue? Because if you're seeing it, I bet, a lo- I bet most are. You know, I think, that, I, I think that people are seeing it more and more. I mean, at least, you know, I'm an animal lover. So for me, this is something I can truly relate to. I actually did have a conversation with a colleague of mine who is not an animal lover, doesn't dislike animals, but has never had a pet, and really thought this was ridiculous, uh-huh. you know, and kind of took this position of, you know, I can't believe that this person's spending all these legal fees fighting about this. You know, so I do wonder, you know, and of course I'm saying, well, you know, if you had an animal, you'd really understand that, you know, this isn't just like you can just pick another cat. It's something that really means a lot and, you know, and especially when you're dealing with, you know, he had had a case, this is why we were talking about it. He had had a case where the children were going to be primarily living with the wife and the husband was just, I mean, very depressed about it and very sad about it and was really trying to fight for the dog because from his perspective, he needed that consistency. He needed that companionship. And he really wanted to have the dog primarily reside with him. Just He's like, I need to come home to this. You know, my kids, my family, everybody, I'm getting a new apartment. Like, his whole life was being uprooted. And all he wanted, you know, considering he wasn't going to have the children as much as he wanted, yeah. all he really felt that having the dog was important to him for just his, his you know, his mental state. And my and the attorney was just like, I just can't believe we're spending this much time fighting about this. Like, get another dog, you know. And I kept trying to explain to him, it's not like he can just get another dog. Like, especially because this dog was very symbolic for him, obviously. Not to mention the depth of the relationship he has. Right. So I don't know if everybody's feeling it. <laughs> it's yeah. a long, long answer. Well, it seems like if somebody was looking for an attorney to help with help them with their divorce, and the pet issue was an issue, that it would be important to have an attorney who got it, you know? Yeah, I would, I would agree. Yeah. My guess is that at the time of the hiring, there wasn't anticipated that this was going right. to kind of come down to where it is, is my guess. And, you know, he's a very nice man. I don't want to sure. berate him. It's just not, not where his focus would lie. Yeah. No, I understand. And are there tips that you see? I mean, I hope it's not always, you know, this knock down, drag out kind of thing. When you witness a relatively harmonious divorce, do you notice that there's certain things that successful former couples have in common that help help promote a harmonious situation versus a more of a fight conflict type situation? I think the circumstances that lead to divorce can often have a big impact on that. I mean, if you have two people that just fall out of love and that's just kind of what happened or just grow apart or something a lot of times that's going to be a much more amicable separation than if you have somebody who cheated let's say or somebody who's lied to the other person or someone who you know one person thinks the marriage is fine and the other one you know wakes up one morning and says i'm done so a lot of it really depends on that um but that said even in you know the nice we'll call the nice divorces uh you can definitely still have people that obviously have deep rooted anger and and it expresses itself what i generally say is that when there are children involved you know they have to find that commonality of both wanting to do everything they can to preserve you know their relationship for the sake of their children and to kind of save their children from what could be a very very difficult difficult divorce so you know when i can basically bring both people to the place where they can recognize that commonality a lot of times you can they can put aside the anger to some degree to recognize how difficult and awful it will be if they drag their kids through this. Yeah. And when I say through this, I mean a custody fight or something like that. Sure. So when you talk about commonality, I would say it's really the people that can recognize that they need to put their children first 
10 people that are entering into this, not because of an action of the other spouse, but just because they realize that they just weren't a good match. Yeah. Now, this is a terrible thing to suggest, but I am curious. Have you seen where one party says that they want to, that they want the dog just to sort of spite the other one who, who they know really wants the dog when it gets nasty? Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not even a question. Oh, no. I mean, people use, people use leverage all the time. It's like you kind of figure out what someone's soft spot is, and then you kind of go right for it. Um, so, yes, and I've seen that, and I've seen it used to the point, I mean, I actually had a case recently where that happened, and it was very apparent that, you know, in this situation, the husband wanted more money, and knew if he asked for the dog, and the dog was his before the marriage, so he knew he had a little bit of an upper upper hand in the situation, but she was very attached. And sure enough, the wife was definitely willing to kind of give him a bit greater share of the assets in exchange for her being able to retain the dog. Wow. Yeah, I mean, what more direct line to the heart, aside from one's own children, I would think, than the pet? Yep. Okay. So. Have you seen this? I know, of course, this is the dog show, so we're focused on dogs. But I'm, I mean, you must see this with other types of pets. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I personally have only dealt with dogs and cats. Um, but, you know, I know colleagues that have had birds, rabbits, you know. Um, but dogs and cats, I find, more dogs than cats, I would even say, are really where the issues come up. Yeah. Do you ever get situations where people are fighting over who has to take the dog, like neither want the dog? I hate to yeah. think of that also, but... Yes. There was a case um, that this was a big issue because the dog was, you know, older and, you know, didn't have control of its bowels anymore. And it was just, it was a very difficult type of situation. And neither party, you know, neither of them wanted to give it to somebody else. Like they both loved the dog enough to say it's not like we're going to give this dog away, but yet neither of them really wanted to take the responsibility and they wanted to, you know, have each of them. So we ended up splitting custody only, but it was in the opposite way. <laughs> like it wasn't as if they both wanted it, but we right. split custody right. so they both could, you know, be both equally responsible for taking care of the dog. Yeah. I know old dogs uh, have it rough. There's a organization here locally called Old Dog Haven that um, is a large network of foster homes that focuses on dogs who are eight years and older and getting them, you know, out of shelters or rescue situations and into foster homes oh, or nice. adopted. Yeah. And the organization actually pays all of the vet bills <clears throat> for the dog. So because wow. it's a consideration, you know, the cost of like, gosh, I'd love to take in. And we actually had a dog for three years from them. And, um, you know, it is a consideration for people who might be willing to give the time and energy and care for a dog who has, you know, more needs than a younger dog, but maybe not the financial means. And so the organization mm -hmm. takes care of that. But that would be a situation, I guess, that an old dog haven dog, for example, would end up in a shelter would be a divorce. Yeah, I guess it could happen. I mean, I've yet to see that happen. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always a possibility. Cause you also have to think from a financial standpoint, it's always more expensive to have two households than one. So sometimes people might find it, I mean, again, I have not personally seen this, but I'd imagine situations where when you have an older animal that's expensive, you just really can't afford to do everything. Right. And so I could see, you know, if somebody has to take certain cuts, it, it may end up being that, you know, an older, more expensive dog may have to be somewhere that would care for it the way that you're speaking. Yeah. So do you have a dog or dogs? I don't. I have, I happen to have two cats, but okay. I had dogs growing up. Um, yeah. And the big debate is whether we're going to ultimately get a dog as well come the come the fall. We're uh -huh. on the fence. I'm a big I'm a big dog person, so clearly you know, now I have these two cats. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What kind of dogs did you have growing up? Uh, I had Siberian Huskies. I had uh, German Shepherds. Basically, Siberian Huskies and German Shepherds. And I oh. actually had a dog called a Silo Shepherd. Yeah, which I've now been informed. I don't know if they even still breed those. Um, but they were wonderful, wonderful dogs. Oh. I mean, I, I adored mine. He was smart and sweet and cute and great. Yeah. Well, that's cool. <clears throat> well, yeah. I appreciate your sensitivity to, uh, you know, this issue in a tough, a tough um, context that you work in, you know, working with divorce and uh, you must see just all sorts of things. Was there anything else that you have in your chapter? So we're talking with Jacqueline Newman, who's a New York City-based matrimony law attorney and she's written two books one is called soon to be x 
and it's more geared towards uh, women and women's needs in a uh, heterosexual marriage. Is that is that accurate to say that? Um, I don't know if it's necessary. Or just women. To, I would say women in general. Yeah, I, I think that even if you're in a same-sex marriage, you're still going to be having a lot of the stresses that you'd be having regardless yeah. of what your gender. So what are some differences I'm curious about, like, just, you know, couple things off the top of your head, like two different books, one topic divorce. Like what are the different, generally the different um, topics that you discuss or how you structure it differently for women versus men? So the law is technically the same because you're really not dealing, you know, law is supposed to be gender neutral. That said, in my experience representing both men and women, I find that people, their concerns are different. And again, I'm being a little stereotypical. Sure, generalizing. I'm generalizing, yeah. yeah. So many women who dedicate are more the primary caretakers of their children and are less financially involved, they will be very scared about the idea of their identities changing, of the role that they play in their children's lives changing, and then they're also scared because they're not as familiar with the finances. Right. And then similarly, you have men who are scared about losing their money, but also very scared about the role that they're going to take in their children's lives to the degree that they haven't done it before, and they're also going to want to fight for it. And again, I've seen such a shift with the fact that, you know, 10 years ago, if a man came, a father came into my office and said he wanted 50-50 custody, I'd say, well, what is she beating your children? And now, when they say that, I say, okay, let's talk about it. And I would say, even in same-sex marriages, you're seeing the same dynamic where you're usually, you know, not always, but very often you'll still have one person who is, you know, taking a larger charge on taking care of the children and then one person who might be taking a bigger charge in the financial. So... I don't think that the genders play as much of a role as the role that you're playing in the marriage. Right. It's so interesting to me that even in the last 10 years that there is such a, a shift in uh, a man, men's generally men's interest in, you know, their role as a father and, and, and their role with their kids, even in just 10 years, which isn't that long. Yeah, no. And I have to tell you, it, it's amazing to me. Yeah. I mean, and it's becoming, you know, now, I mean, New York is one of the slower states in these sort of things, but there's, there's a, there are states that basically say they're presuming that it's a 50-50 and you have to tell me why it's not going to be. Yeah. And while New York hasn't jumped onto that yet, you're seeing the judge's mindset changing. And, you know, I mean, I think it's great. I'm a very big advocate of both yeah. parents being very involved in their children's lives. Yeah. But you're seeing this and you're seeing, you know, and, and even like, you know, jobs are becoming more forgiving with it. You know, if a father now says, listen, I have to leave early, I have, you know, my son's soccer game, you know, you're not getting as much slack as you might have gotten 10 years ago where they'd say, oh. what, do you work part-time? Like, that, that's not happening in the same way. Wow. And I also think that now women entering the workforce more, and there are, you know, I have a lot of women that out-earn their husbands, and you're just seeing a lot of what was the typical gender shift shifting, and therefore I think that's also what's encouraging a lot more men to be involved because they have to be because women are in the workforce. Yeah. Well, that's really great to hear. I mean, we're yeah. talking from the like the the structures themselves. I mean, when you talk about the workplace, to you know, generally that uh, workplaces are more forgiving with men, and and if if a father wants to leave early to go to a game or whatever, like you see, there's more acceptance of that. That's really important. And then also on the flip side, like seeing more women in the workplace and all that. I mean, it's really great to. F- to hear that that's coming more into balance. Um, yeah. So that's a, a positive takeaway from this um, conversation about a difficult time and, and going through divorce and uh, specifically about who gets the pet. I think so too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It was great to talk with you. And, um, you know, it's great to hear too that the that certainly the, the courts generally are looking at you know, the pet's best interest more so than in the past as well. And that it's, you know, that that's part of the conversation too. And uh, your books are Soon to Be X, which is geared more for women. And then you have also Soon to Be X for men. And uh, great to talk with you. Are you guys uh, out from underneath did you get a lot of snow? I'm from Massachusetts, so I've got a lot of family up there, and I know they've just been getting pounded with snow. You know, it's not as bad as predicted, even though I will say I'm looking out the window right now, and it looks like it's coming down again. So <laughs> I maybe have a different answer in like an hour. Yeah. Ago. 
All right. Well, thanks again for your time, Jacqueline. It was great talking with you. And when we come back from break, I'm going to give some tips on how to help your pet through your divorce and what you can do to help uh, decrease their stress level and all that good stuff. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And now back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. That's what you told me. The dog was here first. Oh, yeah, yeah. You said the dog was here first. If you don't like it, you can leave. Welcome back to the dog show with Julie Forbes. <clears throat> I'm left feeling more positive than I thought I would be after talking with a divorce attorney about pet custody, which is who we were with in the first part of the show. If you've missed any part of this show or any of our. Uh, over 470 episodes now. You can find us on iTunes as a free podcast. All of our episodes are also archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. So I was just talking with Eric uh, during the break about allergies. Yeah, you seem to be having a little bit of an allergy got attack some, today, unfortunately. Got some, al- you know, that it started off, uh, few, like it's been a few days, and I was like a little, like sort of dry feeling mm. in the back of my nose, si- sinuses, and I was like, oh, I hope I'm not getting a cold. Yeah. And then it's just progressed a little bit, and I'm not, I don't know myself to have seasonal, I mean, like this, this kind of new territory for me, mm. so I, I, uh, finally took something which I, I don't generally take much in the way of like cold medicine or whatever but i finally took a allergy pill so we'll see well hopefully it works i hope I so too. a lot of our listeners are probably dealing with it uh, yeah. this week especially because spring has finally sprung and even though it's gorgeous and it's great to get outside, this yeah. is the time when there's a lot more pollen in the air yeah it's like so. right on right Right, right on, on schedule. Ti- right on time, yeah. <laughs> and people have grass allergies. People are mowing their lawns for the first oh, time. So yeah. there's so much more uh, part- particulates, I think, in yeah. the air that uh, yeah, it's easy to get triggered, I guess. Well, it's such an interesting phenomenon, and it's not one that I know enough about to even speculate on, um, you know, physiologically, because I love talking about that kind of thing. But I know in past interviews with veterinarians about allergies in dogs mm-hmm. that they are uh, they can be real tricky yeah. to work with. And it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. And I'm like, how how did this you know, did did humans have allergies forty thousand years ago? You know, where we have an allergic reactions like this, seasonal allergies, like how did this you know, when did when did allergies start? Because it seems like allergies in dogs are getting more prevalent. It does seem like that, yeah. So I'd have a hard time believing, or like, do wolves have seasonal allergies? Hmm. I don't know. That's right? a good question. Yeah, interesting. And then I was thinking on my Guess way. if you're out in the forest and you hear some uh, dog sneezing, <laughs> <laughs> it could be a wolf. Yeah, little little seasonal allergies going on there. <laughs> um. I was thinking also about like the irritation of having, you know, a stuffy nose and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and then thinking about dogs and I was like, do dogs feel sinus congestion? Dogs have more sinus cavity in their skull than we do. Um, how does that manifest in dogs? I know a lot of times dog allergies are, um, I don't, I mean, it's hard to say it, do they get sinus congestion versus, um, you know, because you wouldn't hear like their bark sounds stuffy. Like how would you <laughs> how would you know as a human? But they do have they do sneeze. Um, so they and sometimes sneeze. they have that inverted sneeze, which yep. sounds terrible. Yeah, I know my I'm little full. dachshund does that. I don't yeah. know if that's an allergy because I think there's most of the vets or any vet that I've asked, they don't really kind of know what's going on with mm. that. Uh, sometimes it's like a nervous, excited thing or, I don't know, interesting. Lots of mystery to it. I know with dogs, a lot of times it's skin and yeah. um, digestive would be right. where allergies, I think, most commonly come up with dogs. Oh, and chronic ear infections. Hmm. That's a an oftentimes a sign that your dog is getting into something that they're allergic to or that there's yeah. something in their food that they're allergic to. Well, let's hope this allergy medication kicks in for my sake, because I'm sick of it. 
<laughs> it's been a few days now, and I'm, it's just getting worse. I'm like, okay, I'll take something. Well, I, I told you during the break that Flonase worked for me. So <laughs> if uh, if, you, if you're still dealing with it, it, it might be worth uh, giving it a try. Well, that's what Darcy said, my wife, is that, you know, just take something because you've got to, like, calm it down because otherwise your body kind of starts getting a little worked up, you know, and, like, the mm. inflammation just gets more inflamed. And so if you actually help knock it down, it helps the body yeah. Get over it. So exactly. we'll see. We'll see. Wish me luck. Good luck. Thank you. It's been about an hour since I took it, so I don't know. Maybe my nose is a little less runny. Optimism. All right. So I wanted to talk, following up on my interview with Jacqueline Newman in the first part of the show. She's the author of Soon to Be X and Soon to Be X for Men, not Soon to Be X Men. It's a whole different book. <laughs> uh, about pet custody. Now I'm just picturing Wolverine down <laughs> at the, the bookstore asking for this. Yeah. Sneezing. Yes. Well, <laughs> asking for soon to be X-Men. Yeah. Right. <laughs> do X-Men have allergies? I wonder. Maybe not Wolverine, but I'm guessing the <laughs> other ones do. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So, you know, I have definitely worked in... in Maybe Beast. For yeah. sure. For sure Beast <laughs> has, has some allergies. Oh, the questions. The questions. <laughs> So, you know, I've worked with people over the last 15 years and their dogs with training and behavior challenges and questions and all that stuff. And I've definitely seen as as it happens where families are going through divorce um, or have already gone through and then I'm meeting them after the fact and they they are in like a joint custody situation where they they may have a dog of their own who they've gotten post-divorce, but then there's a dog from the past relationship that they share with the ex. So, and that can look any number of different configurations, as you could imagine. One month off, one month on, weekends, week off, week on, you know, all sorts of different configurations. And I, I, it's just a curious thing. I'm usually, I'm like, you know, we're focused on something else, so I don't kind of sit down and hash it out with them, but I am curious, like, how does that work? Does does the dog adjust to that transition where they're, you know, one month at one house and then they kind of get into a rhythm and then, er, you know, okay, now you're over here. And then this is a different schedule and a different, you know, different environment, different style. And then they're a month there and then, you know, er, now you're back over here. And then, you know, is that just kind of chronically stressful or I imagine they probably adapt to it? Of course, there's always individual variation, depends on the dog. Lots of questions. But what I can say is some things to help help your dog through a divorce to minimize the stress on your animal. And I think a lot of these probably pertain to kids as well. Uh, but that's not my area of expertise. So divorce can be, you know, even even when it's for the best, uh, still stressful, the transition in and of itself. It can be, in some cases, devastating um, for one or both parties, very sad, and, you know, again, stressful. So lots of reconfiguring of how the life is structured. And, of course, dogs feel everything. So... And they can definitely show the stress. I mean, a lot of times if somebody is coming to me with a, a behavior that just has sort of come up, like let's say it's a six-year-old dog who they've had since he, he or she was a puppy and, um, you know, they've had for several years and know the dog. And, and then this dog has started to exhibit a certain behavior and – you know, a lot of times it's like, well, is there any any transition in, in the family that's happened? Was there a death in the family, a divorce? Have you just moved? That can be really stressful. Just moving, let alone adding a divorce to the equation. Um, you know, just, just moving can really throw dogs off. And dogs vary so much as individuals, specifically in this way. In a lot of ways, but this is one way specifically that dogs really vary as individuals genetically is their response to their environment. So when there's an environmental change or they have to move or, you know, how 
how well is this individual dog going to be able to tolerate this, you know, change in, and for dogs, it probably feels sudden, um, you know, this move or this change in family configuration or whatever. So the first thing that I want to say, I think for me is obvious, and, and I also understand it's probably easier said than done in some situations, but just, you know, first don't fight with your soon-to-be ex, uh, quoting Jacqueline Newman's book title. <laughs> uh, don't fight in front of the dog, you know. Try to, just like you wouldn't want to in front of your kids, uh, don't do that in front of the dog because it definitely, they definitely feel that. It can stress them out. It can scare them um, if, as it gets heated. And again, depending on the dog's level of sensitivity, one of our dogs... <laughs> One of the things that I think of is when I watch football, uh, I can get loud and, you know, just cheering and or, you know, ah, something, you know, the, they drop the ball or whatever. And I'm just, you know, a loud fan, I guess. And, uh, and Darcy's oftentimes like, Shh, you know, you're freaking telly out like and then I have to go and like right after I do that, be like, hey, tell, come here, you know, like, aha, like no big deal. And sort of shift my tune because I'll be like, come on, you know, at the, at the TV and the dog's like, crap, like what just happened? And so they're sensitive and that's just me yelling at the television, not where there's actual tension between people that they have to live with. And then it blows up sometimes. So be sensitive to what your dog, what you're exposing your dog to, what kinds of interactions you're exposing your dog to, just like you would hopefully um, children. Keeping a routine is really helpful. Um, just general time of day that things happen, uh, walks, feedings, that kind of stuff, as much as you can. I know it's hard. I can imagine it's hard if, if somebody's going through a stressful time. You're having probably a hard enough time taking care of yourself. Um, but a lot of those things will apply to your dog as well. And maybe you, can, you and your dog can kind of help each other if you're the primary person to the dog with the primary bond and the person who's soon to be your ex isn't really, you know, maybe you and your dog, you can connect with your dog through this and, and you guys could, um, you know, deepen your bond even, uh, do stuff together, um, increase, which brings me to increasing physical and mental exercise. So what's so good for stress for people? Exercise, right? You hear it all the time. Exercise, exercise, exercise. It does wonders for the body for in, on so many levels. And so you'd want to actually, you know, even up your walks with your dog or start, you know, jogging if your dog is physically fit enough for it or go for some hikes, you know, get out in the woods, turn your phone off or, you know, and just like have some time where you can get away from the stress with your dog and have your dog benefit from that as well as you, you know, getting outside for me, is sort of has a therapeutic feel to it and really connecting with my dogs does. Maybe take a nose work class. Uh, sign up for something new. Do something fun. Add a positive into the environment. So not only are you getting out of the house, doing something fun with your dog, taking your mind off of the stress of the relationship or the failing relationship, but you're also helping your dog out in doing something fun together, but also that mental and physical, well, for nose work, it's more mental. But as you know, if you've listened to the show for, you know, any amount of time, really, I talk all the time about the importance of mental stimulation, not just physical. When we think of exercising our dog, we think of physical exercise. Got to go for walks, got to throw the ball, got to go to the park. But we don't think of that mental. And that's actually as important, if not even more important than the physical. Uh, if your ability to take your dog for walks is, uh, you know, uh, let's see, compromised and you can't control that, and if you have the means, hire a dog walker. Um, I just talked with, uh, was just talking with clients who aren't going through divorce, but um, the woman works like kind of nine to five and the guy was in between jobs for a little while and was at home and then 
started working again and now he's gone nine to five and the dogs are like, uh, we're, we're home now all the time alone together. There's two dogs, fortunately. So they do have each other. Um, I was like, yeah, you guys like that's definitely you in the dogs. There's a little more friction between the dogs since this transition. And it's like, oh, they're feeling that stress, you know? And so one of the things that we talked about was that they have a dog walker that comes on Wednesdays. And so I suggested that they increase the dog walks now that there's nobody home all day with the dogs, um, you know, have the dog walker come more frequently than just one day a week, you know, as, as many days a week as they could. Um, so that's a good way to, to kind of help that. And if you're able to, you know, hire a dog walker, if you're just not able to do it, um, to get your dog out. I always like talking with my dogs and this has mostly come up around grief. Um, when we've had, I've had multiple dogs for as long as I can remember now. Uh, well, it's been 16 years that I've had multiple dogs because that's how old my little dachshund is. <laughs> and she was a second dog when I got her and I had my first dog, Chewy, who since passed away. Um, but I've not had just one dog. So we've gone through some grief with dogs who have passed when Chewy passed away in 2009. And then when Lois, our old dog Haven dog passed away last summer, um, you know, in, in the grief process. And I, there, of course there's grief that goes along with divorce. Um, you know, talk to your dog about it. I like that. I think it's, you know, if you're just, just have a heart to heart and just be like, I know, you know, this is really hard, but I'm going to take care of you and, you know, we'll get through it. And, you know, just having, just like say that they don't understand the words, but they get emotional tone. They're really brilliant at reading emotional tone. There's not a whole lot of translation there. And so if you're just like genuine and you're connecting and you're looking at them, like it, I, it occurs to me oftentimes, and I'm the one talking about this, like to just talk to my own dogs, like really look at your dog and like look at them and talk to them about whatever and like really connect and be present rather than sort of doing five things all the time at once, you know, and you're on your phone and the computer and then you've got the TV on or you're just running around, you know, and then you're doing the laundry and the da, da 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 Like I know how that goes. Life gets busy. And so one of the things that's so great about our dogs is that they give us an opportunity when we interact with them to slow down, connect, get present, be aware of, of the tone that you're generating, be intentional with your communication. Um, and then one of the things that I thought of as I was talking about or thinking about talking with your dog would be to even add in a little like little body rub, little massage. That's going to help you too because the stress level decreases when we, you know, touch our animals or hang out with our animals. So just like a little massage, a little gentle talk, and, you know, everything's going to be okay. I'm sorry this is so hard, but, it, you know, I, I'm taking care of you, all that kind of stuff. I really like that. And I find it helps me when I've been grieving the loss of a dog, um, you know, talking about it with people for sure. And talking about it with my dogs to just connect with them too, because they feel it too. And then training and structure is always a good thing. And I sort of touched on that uh, a little bit as far as routine goes, mental and physical exercise, um, you know, increasing, increasing uh, that kind of interaction, you know, just basic obedience training or something like nose work or agility or um, tricks, puzzles. There's so many of those now. Um, doggy puzzles that you can get. Those are fun. You can do just sit down with your dog and, you know, teach them how to get the treat out of the thing, the drawer, or the thing you have to slide over, or however the puzzle is configured. Um, those are really fun. Just a great way to kind of sit down and be together. So increasing that type of stuff as much as you can um, can help too. So if anybody's listening and you're going through a divorce, uh, definitely sorry to hear it. It'd be sad, I imagine, even even if it's for the better, um, unless it's a really terrible situation, and then that's sad for other reasons. So I'm happy to hear from Jacqueline Newman that uh, 
the roles, uh, stereotypical roles of men and women and families in heterosexual couples are actually starting to even out. And that uh, employers are giving men a little more leeway to leave early and go attend a kid's soccer game, for example, and uh, that you're also, also seeing more women in the workforce. So, hey, that's good news. More so than 10 years ago. So it's like measurable result. 10 years ago wasn't that long. So, yeah, a couple things in the news, uh, air, airline related, and uh, it's very disturbing. And I'm glad that there's these are getting so much coverage. Terrible that, that it's happened. But um, there's a story in the news of a dog that died in the overhead bin of a, I think these were both United Airlines. So get your act together, right? Yeah, what a terrible Sad story. The dog was barking for two hours. I mean, I don't even know how this all happened. Apparently, the f- they're airtight, the the baggage uh, space. How does a dog get? Who's the flight attendant? Who's the owners right. that are like, okay, I'll do what you say? I'd be like, yeah, you can get me on the phone with your boss right now. <laughs> I mean, it's easy enough to say, of course, it's terrible yeah. that it happened. But um, how does that even happen? And then there's a story. They sent the wrong dog to Japan. They're both one was supposed to go to Kansas and one was supposed to go to Japan and they sw- the wrong dog went to. Oh, my gosh. What a nightmare. I- I'm uneasy about flying dogs and I really mm-hmm. avoid it as much as, you know, at all costs, really, because this this kind of thing happens. And I know that people say that they've flown their dogs forever and have never had a problem and blah, blah, blah. But then you do hear these stories of this kind of thing happening. And I'm just like no risk policy over here never going to happen if I if I have anything to do with it but hopefully these stories are a learning experience especially this one in the overhead bin uh you know speak up for what uh, doesn't feel right especially when it's for an individual who can't speak for themselves well that brings us to the end of uh this lovely episode I'm gonna go out take my dogs for a walk have a great week happy spring thanks for listening to the dog show with Julie Forbes You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.